Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Myths and Stories, a Destiny Lore podcast. Uh, today, we are starting a new subject. Uh, we are going to be covering our favorite uh, enigmatic unknown person, the Drifter. So, ding, ding, ding. Cue all the dings. Uh... Yeah, we uh, Myth has been wanting to cover this one for a while, and uh, Season of the Plunder's here, so uh, Drifter's been a very big part of it, and I think a lot of his story is unknown to a lot of people. Uh, it, a lot of it's told uh, through lore cards, through through guns, through any type of lore entry that's in game. There's we've never really had like I know we had Season of the Drifter like way 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 back in Forsaken, but we didn't really we didn't really do a drifter story or anything like that. Like, like even in game, there wasn't much there. There was, it was, you know, here's a new game mode, come try the reckoning and, and gambit prime and all that stuff, which are all gone now. Um, but yeah, this is, this is going to be, uh, I think this is going to be a fun one. Cause there's, mm -hmm. the, he really does have a lot of, uh, he, he's got a lot of adventures and a lot of crazy stuff. Hasn't he myth? Yeah, I know. Um, I say Drifter is a really interesting character that, like you said, I don't think a lot of people know very much about. Uh, a lot of people just know him as the Gambit Vendor. Um, yeah. And, you know, the the memes of, you know, transmat firing and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> but there is a lot more to his character and he has he has seen a lot in the destiny universe uh that kind of informs us as to why he is the way he is uh and with him taking such a um maybe not main role but at least supporting role uh seemingly in this season of plunder i you know i don't want to say people know the backstory of Mithrax and spider and all that um because there there's certainly uh, a lot to be explored there yet too but some of that's being revealed as the season goes on. And I feel like people may not be as familiar with Drifter. And I don't know if he's going to get the same kind of uh, reveal. So I thought it'd be, yeah. it'd be cool to bring people up to speed with, uh, with who the Drifter is. Absolutely. Well, uh, where are we starting with this one tonight? Yeah. So uh, uh, good portions of our readings tonight... Um, are going to come from the lore book "A Man with No Name," uh, which came to kind us during yeah, it came to us during season of the Drifter way back, and uh, I think it was like three months after Forsaken came out, um, maybe a little longer than that, but it was in that that time range, uh, and uh, it kind of gives us the the early history of the man we now know as the Drifter, um. But, uh, but yeah, so we're going to start with, uh, the man with no name and we're going to start with chapter one of that book, which is heaven or hell. And it goes like this. He opened his eyes in the night air and took an even breath. He wasn't sure how long he'd been asleep, but his immediate instinct was to run. He froze. The voice wasn't his. You have to run. The man stood up in the evening light. He looked down at himself and saw that someone had dressed him for his own funeral. He didn't laugh, but he thought it was funny. 
The voice continued, Can you hear me? Risen fight for territory in these highlands. We have to move. For the first time, he noticed a small drone buzzing in the air around him, a blazing eye at its center glowing like a blue sun. It jerked its frame to the left, indicating the light of a far-off settlement. Head west. I have friends there. They'll help us. The man stared at the drone, frowned, and then ran in the opposite direction. What? Hey! The voice cried out behind him. He fled into the darkness, tall grass on either side of him flying past. The only thing he could hear was his own breathing and the loud crush of the vegetation he trampled. He was surprised at how fast he was moving. The voice called to him again, far behind. He heard the roar of the machine before he saw it, and he didn't feel a thing as it exploded out of the tall grass to the right and landed on him, crushing him beneath its bulk. Some time passes. He opened his eyes in the night air and took an even breath. You died, the drone explained, hovering over him. It was smeared with a dark, filmy paste. I brought you back. He stood up and looked down at himself. Same clothes, nothing hurt. The hulking wreck of the machine that had killed him sat in, a piece, sat in pieces a few meters away, inside a dark, sooty crater. The body of an armored man lay sprawled over the smoldering open-air cockpit, his helmet punctured by a small hole about the size of the drone. Are you ready to listen? Let me take you to my friends, it said. This region is full of raiders like this man, led by Risen like you. You've got a lot of catching up to do. What the hell are you? The man spoke for the first time. I am your ghost. My only purpose is to support you, the drone replied. You work for me? In a manner of speaking, yes. Is this the afterlife? In a manner of speaking, the drone said, nodding at the western lights once more. Can we go? Not that way. The man headed in the opposite direction. The drone watched him trample the high grass and disappear. It stared up at the massive, disfigured orb that dominated the sky, then made a small adjustment to the orbit pattern of its modular armor, and hurried after the man. And that's the end of that lore card. So this, like this, this is obviously very early days. Like the the fact that they're calling the light bearers risen, like that's 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 like very very early days of mm-hmm. uh of of the. <sighs> I guess I guess post collapse like this is like just after the collapse drones have been released these drones being you know we know them as ghosts and he calls he calls himself as such uh and then of course the the big disfigured orb in the sky that's obviously the the traveler uh but this this risen man seems extremely cautious uh, if not just 
blatantly not wanting to head towards everything else. Um, and then the the did the ghost kill a dude? Yeah. Uh, what the hell? <laughs> so this is absolutely um, the Dark Age. Uh, this this is uh, post collapse, pre city age, um, even pre Iron Lord at this point, uh, perhaps. Yeah. Or, or, you know, very early Iron Lord. Because were the were the Iron Lords well well I guess were the Iron Lords risen or or did they come did they come post like after the risen had been established and now there's now there's the warlords then there's the Iron Lords well risen was just a general term it was just gotcha. a, like kind of like know, light bear yeah um you were a warlord uh, if you you know you if you were if you were a risen that held dominion over an area you were a warlord some of them were i don't want, i don't know if good is the right word but some of them were you know fair and others sure. were tyrants uh sure. and then there were the iron lords that were specifically you know fighting you know in their in their eyes the good and righteous fight to uh keep the people free of being ruled over by other risen kind of kind of like the the predecessor to the vanguard and the and the guardians yeah, yeah in a lot of yeah. ways yeah so this so this is taking place during this early time then this is like a very early like freshly freshly released ghost kind of scattering to everything and and it the the, the line there like uh so you work for me and he's like you know in a manner of speedy speaking yeah and then he's like is this the afterlife uh kinda yeah sort of like <laughs> it even even the go- like the ghosts of today i i feel like have a very not defined purpose but like a very defined direction this ghost very much is just kind of like like he's he he keeps suggesting suggesting that we go that that this man go to that that those lights in the west but never really like demands that he goes that way like for us as as guardians nowadays, we're very much like, oh, hey, last city, that's where we go. That's that's us. Whereas this guy's just completely rejecting that idea of like, yeah, I'm not going anywhere near that. Well, and that that's another thing for for us as guardians currently. Um, a there there's kind of a support system established already for like, oh sure sure ghosts know when you raise your guardian you take them to the city they get showed the ropes they have protection they have training all those things um they get thrown in the crucible with right. all the heart tryhards yeah they get melted a couple times they never come back <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> they never come back I like that <laughs> this but this guy feel I feel like this guy being described here in this entry, he I think he could take a few guys. I think he could take a guy or two. Oh just, yeah. Just from his like demeanor. Like he doesn't he doesn't even seem phased that he's that he's been killed and, and revived and he's like, Okay, well that's cool, but I'm not gonna do what you're telling me to do. Yeah, and I, I think that uh that that's kind of the big distinction here is that generally speaking, our our guardian and it, it seems many others when they're first awakened, um, their their ghost is the one that informs them about the world and leads them where they need to go. And 
generally speaking, guardians just accept that. They're like, okay, this little guy knows what's going on. I don't. I'm going to listen to him. Uh, in this instance, you know, this newly risen, perhaps part of their personality is just to be severely distrusting. I, oh, but yeah. for one reason or another, they're taking the approach of, I just woke up. I have no idea what's going on. There's this little robot thing talking to me, telling me to go places. I'm not going to listen to a damn thing that robot says until I know what's going on. Uh, yep. And so he actively does exactly the opposite of what he's told to do. Yep. Now uh, we see that there are some consequences to that um, because he didn't go towards this settlement where this ghost had friends that could help him. He's out on his own, not in the most hospitable of territory either. And we get to the second chapter of this lore book, which is called Dogma. And it goes like this. He had been reduced to crawling. His ghost cut serenely through the air above him. What the hell is wrong with me? He demanded of the ground. You're dying from starvation, ghost said flatly. I don't believe you. He sneered as he dragged himself over some rocks. I could fix you, Ghost said. Don't need you. I got this. You're not going to pick a name, Ghost asked. Everyone picks a name. You talk too much. Some people pick names for their ghosts, too. What should I call you if you don't want a name? The man had passed out. The sun beat down directly overhead, a searing marble in the sky. He died a day later after a scorpion stung his prone body. Ghost allowed it. A complete restart would be less complicated. He opened his eyes and took an even breath. What should I call you? Ghost asked. He looked at it, as if, as if considering, and then down at his hands. I'm still hungry. That's the end of that card. Consequences is right, man. Like, I mean, to die of starvation, like, it, it, it's, it's, that, like, honestly, that's an interesting concept, right? Like, we as humans don't truly understand the feeling of dying from starvation because you die. There's an end point. Yeah. <laughs> but in this instance, he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on, and he's dying from starvation, and then he does. He passes out. His body gives up on him. It, his physical form just gives out. Scorpion stings him. And and then that's that's the interesting part here. Um, a complete restart would be less complicated, implying that, like, if if he had kind of died from starvation or not like fully died from starvation and ghost brought him back at this point in time in history, it might not have gone correctly. Um, whereas like once the scorpion stung him and now he's like fully dead, like now he's like guaranteed dead. Now we just do a fresh rebuild. Um, yeah. so yeah, that I, 
I don't I don't know why that part really stuck out to me. It it but, is uh, it is an interesting thing to to think about. Um, a complete restart would be less complicated. I don't know if that's the ghost saying it's easier for me to just resurrect you than it is to, um, somehow fix the need yeah. for hunger or the feeling yeah. of hunger because the ghost does tell him like i could fix you uh and i think That's it's true. i think it's interesting when he does resurrect him uh this yet unnamed risen says he's still hungry which implies either um it seems to imply to me at least that the ghost intentionally did not erase the hunger, although he could have. And that, that was the thought that I was thinking of too. Like the complete restart, does that, does that imply that there's like, we'll, we'll call it an image, uh, like a, like a computer image for like a, like a, um, I know you know what I'm talking about cause you deal with this all day, every day. <laughs> uh, but like an image, uh, for like a, like an operating system. Uh, is there like, I mean, I guess this implies that there's like an image sitting in some sort of buffer somewhere in the ghost's memory banks or whatever, that is a, like a freshly risen guy with nothing wrong with him. He doesn't, he's not, he's not dying of starvation. He's not, you know, cause like dying from starvation, I would think that there were like, you know, organ failure. So like, you know, if he brought him back, maybe his liver doesn't work quite right or something like that. But that fresh restart is like a, like a like a bare bones base image of said risen and so ghost is able to easily just recall that and and basically boot that up uh uh as far as bringing something back maybe so, so. yeah um yeah it, it, that kind of gets into the theory theories of like how do ghosts resurrect us? Um, yeah. I yeah. know there's, we've, we've discussed before, like there's kind of two prevailing theories. One is that ghosts literally um, disassemble and reassemble matter at an atomic level to right. return it to the, a blueprinted form of what we were or are at the last, you know, quote unquote save point. Um the other theory, which I, I forget the lore card, but I know we talked about it, I think in our Light and Dark series, yeah. uh, is that the ghosts are are using a blueprint, but they're they're using the blueprint of a living version of that person from another time. Yeah. I, that's that's my favorite theory. That's the one where like that's why we're paracausal. Like we we are literally when we die, we have that version of us actually has died and and ghost is going through the multiverse going, okay, well, here's a here's a version of you that didn't die. Like you turned re- left instead of right back here. Mm-hmm. So we'll bring that version back and then you turn left instead of right and everything goes fine. Like that's I love that theory. I really like that idea. So uh but then when the whole question of like why is he still hungry and ghost saying yeah. that ghost could have fixed that saying i could fix you um you know d- that either implies that ghosts have some control over the 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 molecular makeup of their guardian's body um or it's implying that the ghost just didn't find a version of him that wasn't starving because 
Ah. It didn't want to. It's like, is, is, is that like the, like, I'm not going to call the ambulance because you're not going to learn anything if I do? <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that what Coach just did there? It's a bit of an extreme version of that, but, you know. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so we are going to take a small break from the book to talk about a lore tab on a legendary weapon that um, I don't believe is in the game anymore. I don't think you have the ability to get this in the game anymore. Uh, that weapon is called 21% Delirium, uh, which was a machine Ooh, gun. It, it might be at the kiosk. It might be at the kiosk, but it's it's a sunset weapon as far as I know. So even if you can yep. get it there, you you can't you know use it for not a lot of places that you can things. use it yeah. um but uh this weapon was from gambit and it gives us a little peek into uh what this newly ri- this hungry newly risen resorted to to sate that hunger and for those that have paid attention to some of the drifters dialogues here and there uh may have a guess already but this is where his particular habit started um so this is 21% delirium and the lore card goes like this a dark age drifter stood against an oncoming horde the stuff of nightmares quad armed mouths full of shining carnivore teeth carrying weathered but fully functional armor and weapons they moved as a mob their boots kicked up clouds of dust as they advanced blades glinting in the sun all right he said a quiet salute to his dance partners as he wove around sizzling arc bolts coat trailing him like a shadow he might not walk away from this but they definitely wouldn't His machine gun spoke much louder than he did, over and over. He had never brought himself to shoot a human, or anything even resembling a human, risen included. But these were no risen, no humans. He broke their advance like oil parting water, the repeating bloom of his heavy heavy bullets leading the way. A blue, vicious film covered the dirt dust and rocks when he finished all right he said looking appreciatively down at his smoking weapon a trail of spent shells traced his path through his opponent's ranks hard to find a bite out here most days every day actually he couldn't help but wonder what they'd taste like and that's the end of that lore card Nom 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 nom. Uh, yeah. This this so like Drifter reminds me of like. Oh, I can't think of the character's name. Anyway, uh, there's a character in West Wing that's constantly run like, "Are you gonna eat that?" Like, and and <laughs> and that's what Drifter's reminding me of. Like, he's just looking around, like, "Hey, uh, you gonna eat that?" Like, that's that's what he's that's what he makes me think of. Yeah, uh, I could see that. But oh my god, like he literally like, oh look, a dead body. Hey, you gonna eat that? Yeah, probably not. All right, well I'll take a bite. Tastes just like chicken. Hmm. I mean, if your if your days have been spent wandering through presumably a desert, 
uh, starving to death over and over and over as many times as it takes to get from where you're at to the next source of civilization, probably be willing to eat anything. Yeah. 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 You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, and, and he does eventually reach civilization, um, in a little town named Eaton. And he does eventually take an. I have is is the is the name of the town, it, it <laughs> Eaton, Eaton E A T O N. Uh, okay, I thought it was like Eaton, like somebody had eaten him. <laughs> like he's not. Quite. I was like, okay, this story is too literal. <laughs> no, not quite. Um, but yeah, so he he does stumble upon a place that he calls home for a little while. Uh, and that is the next chapter of this lore book, which is just titled Home Part One. And it goes like this. Eaton received its first visitors in years. Germain watched the armored men and women climb down from their silver transports. They were risen, being said to be unkillable, and they fought against each other in a war without end somewhere beyond Eaton's borders. This particular group, the Iron Lords, represented new ideology and claimed they fought to put an end to the fighting. Led by a man named Dryden, they had paid each family in Eaton several months' worth of supplies and rations to stay the week. They planned to stage an ambush on another of their kind, known only as the Red Man. Two weeks ago, survival was in doubt. Now, because of the generosity of the Iron Lords, their little town would make it through the winter. Jermaine's friend Judson emerged from a neighboring supply shed and stuck a single finger in the air as the riders strode up. Jermaine chuckled and shook his head, but said nothing. How you living? Judson greeted the risen, holding his finger high. Settle down, Judson, Jermaine called out. Shut your hole, Jermaine, Judson returned, hand still in the air. Your name is stupid and you're stupid too. Jermaine shook his head and grinned ruefully. Judson had warned the town against the arrangement, shouting to everyone who would listen that he'd take care of food, that the iron freaks would only bring trouble. He was a very good huntsman, possibly the best Eaton had ever seen and somehow produced deer, duck, and bull from the decimated hills. But even Judson had come up short for months. The war beyond Eaton had intensified. The adults went hungry so the children could eat. It wasn't a sustainable position. We'll be out of your way soon, said one of the Iron Lords, who nodded at Judson as he passed by. Her voice was as metallic and cold as her helmet. Judson spat and didn't take his eyes off them as they walked the length of the town to secure hidden positions around its perimeter. And that's the end of that lore card. So, oh man, there's there's a bunch of names here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the I'm one the ones curious. to uh, the ones to to latch onto. Um, okay, we have 
Judson. We have Jermaine. Both of them are yep. are citizens of the town. Um, okay. Judson is a very staunch. Uh, uh, he's opposed to the Iron Lords using their their town as a base. Sure. Um, oh, absolutely. And there's this group of Iron Lords which are being led by a uh, a lord named Dryden. So those are kind okay. of the three to. So Ju- Judson is not the Drifter. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> God damn it! So, but because there's an interesting thing, that, like from reading this, just just the how you live in, like that's that's a really common, yeah, Drifter phrase that he uses, and that's where I was curious um, if that is the dr- the Drifter. It seems that, and I don't know if this is just the Iron Lords being nice. Do the Iron Lords not know that he's arisen? Uh, so no. I mean, uh, they have no reason to believe anyone in this town is, unless they, okay. um, you know, unless they they showed their ghost or or were murdered and came back. I suppose. Right. Right. No. Yeah. No. That. I. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Is like, ri- risen. Unless you see a ghost, you don't know that the other person's arisen. Right. That's that's just kind of a that's a that's a neat. I guess I've I've never I've never really thought of it before. Like I've always thought, oh, you know, oh yeah, I'm a I'm a guardian. That guy's a guardian. We're all guardians. Yeah, us. But I've never really thought of it in terms of like, you know, hey, these guys probably, you know, maybe they don't know that they're guardians. Maybe they don't know whatever. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things that um, if you don't have, if you don't, if you aren't aspiring to be a warlord or an iron lord, um, showing that you're a risen probably is a dangerous thing. Oh yeah, because risen are pretty ruthless, especially against other risen. Exactly, because they see it as competition. Absolutely. Uh, okay. And you'd probably get a, a decent amount of fear, uh, if not ill will, from normal people because they're just used to being trampled on by Risen from one side or another. Yeah. So I think yeah, it's very likely absolutely. that um, there's a very intentional decision, uh, especially if you're already distrusting of your own ghost to... Yep just not want to acknowledge the fact that you you have these abilities yeah but okay so uh so the the stage in this little town of eaton is uh this group of iron lords has come in said hey we want to use this as a home base here's a bunch of supplies that will essentially get you guys through the winter for allowing us to to stay here for a little bit uh and then we're they're they're setting an ambush for this red man uh warlord. That was the other one, like who the, who the hell is this guy? I don't know. We're gonna find out. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh hopefully. So this this continues now in the next chapter, which is home part two. And it goes like this. Yu was nine cycles old 
and visited often. She and her family lived next to Judson, and sometimes they sent her to Germain when their boisterous neighbor was too belligerent, as he was today. Germain didn't mind. Judson doesn't think it was a good idea to let the Iron People stay with us, she was saying. She paced slowly back and forth across the length of the shack, stepping carefully over the game of cards Germain had laid out on the bare dirt floor. I know, but Judson says a lot of things, and sometimes you gotta be decisive. You see how much food they gave us? Germain said, placing a card down. A lamp flickered nearby next to the largest pile of ration boxes this shack had ever held. Judson knows how to use guns. I've seen him. Maybe he can. No, no, he can't. Those things out there you can't kill. Get that out of your mind right now. You kept pacing, frowning slightly as she considered it. More food is nice, but Judson thinks they're going to get us dead. I think he might run away, she said. He laid another card down. Appreciate what you get. Your parents were skipping dinner so you could have yours. The Risen solved that for us, for a little while. We have to let them stay. She stopped pacing to consider that, and looked up at the sheet metal ceiling. I don't want to die. You won't, Jermaine said. Why don't you go see what your parents are up to? I'm a little beat. Okay, she said, shrugging, and left. Jermaine opened a small box of water from the pile of ration packs and poured a tinful. You hadn't noticed because it was difficult to see in the flickering lamplight, but his hands shook. Some time passes. Judson's breath steamed in the night air as he shut the gate that bordered the town as quietly as he could. Shivering would mean shaking the rickety thing and waking up Yu's family, so he kept the handle gripped tight as he pushed it back into place. He now stood on the pass out of Eaton Valley. As he turned around, he walked right into Jermaine. Didn't see you there, brother, Judson growled low, stopping just short of throwing an elbow into his neighbor's throat. He backed up a step. Just one. Where are you running to this late? Jermaine asked. Brother. What are you, dense? Away from this before the shooting starts. We gotta trust this Lord Dryden knows what he's doing, Jermaine said. Judson shook his head. You and all the dealmakers are gonna get this town dead. These guys are worse than the stories. You know how I feel about Risen, but they saved us this week. Judson sneered. No one ever believes it, cause Risen like you and me. Oh, no one ever believes it, cause Risen look like you and me. But they'll kill you without meaning to. Naturally is breathing. They can't help it. They're looking to jump one man. Just one. We gotta see this through. Even the Risen can contain a fight at that scale. You gonna move? Or do I move you? Jermaine stepped to the side. I'm not the law, but where are you going to go? 
There's nothing but Warland out there, and their prey is coming. I'm a tracker. Kept this town fed for years before you got here. I'll be fine. And that other Risen won't care about one man passing through. I got nothing to hide. Just need to get away. If you all want to play bait for the Warren dead, have a nice life. Jermaine chuckled. What's funny? Judson sneered in that low voice again. I don't know how you do it. I almost admire you. How's that? You've got no fear. Have a nice life, brother. See you when I see you. Jermaine walked back to the gate. And that's the end of that card. There we go. I didn't even realize Jermaine was arisen. I thought Jermaine was just another dude in the town. <laughs> well, uh, no, that, yeah. that, that's a little bit of, of my misreading there. Um, Judson was telling Jermaine that everyone's scared of Risen because they look just like Jermaine uh, and, and Judson. Um, saying, like, they look like us, no one knows. You know, everyone's scared of them because they look like us, but, you know, they're they're not they're so Immortal. much they're so much bigger yeah. than we are um yeah. okay so, yeah i was i was reading that as as like like he was he was like since they were alone like he could they could speak freely type thing and he was like yeah nobody knows that that they're risen just like us but i, I see what you're saying there no one ever believes it because no one ever believes it uh because they look like us and they'll but they'll kill you without meaning just naturally breathing they can't help it yeah. yeah okay yeah no i'm following now okay um yeah not 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 a whole lot to dissect in here um it's i do i do like i do like use little innocence little nine-year-old kid um just just i guess genuinely intrigued with 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 jermaine and pretty much thinking that uh not, not taking Jets inside, but looking at the situation is like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Judson can take these guys down and, and, you know, he, he can shoot. He's pretty good shot. And Jermaine just kind of like, no, you, you like, that's cute that you think that, but you're only nine. You really don't have a clue what you're, what's going on out here. Yeah. Like it's so much bigger than that. Like, Maybe, maybe you know, having the Iron Lords and and obviously having as much food as they have, like this whole pile of rations. Uh, but yeah, like having that much given to them by the Iron Lords, definitely. Jermaine definitely sees the prosperity in this. Like the you know, maybe we keep these guys around for a while. Let them let them hunt down this one guy, this red man that they're trying to find. Let them do their thing. They'll be out of our hair if if they really are trying to bring peace. I I I'm assuming uh, this is me personally assuming uh, that uh, this red this red man has been wreaking havoc on this town uh, or at least the the surrounding areas uh, and that he's he's bad enough that if the Iron Lords are who's they, who they say they are if they really are um, there to stop the warring to make the to make the world a better place that maybe taking out this one guy is not such a bad thing yeah so yeah so we have jermaine not stopping judson from leaving 
Uh, Judson yeah. saying, you know, I got nothing to hide. I got nothing to fear. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to be a dude traveling the road. Uh, no one should pay me any mind. Yep. And with that in mind, we're going to now go into home part three, the next chapter of this. And uh, this one goes like this. Starts off with a conversation. Who are you? Would you know me if I gave you a name? Your ghost made a fatal error. Couldn't catch it, but I confirmed it on Tracker. The hell is this? You think I'm one of you? Brother, you got another thing coming. How is it that I found one man all the way out here then? No food or water for miles. I manage. I have ways to make you tell us what we want to know. A pause. The warlord campaign in this region never reached into the southern valley. Are there any settlements you know of nearby? Anything tucked away in the valley or inside the mountain range? You could tell me, or I could start cutting. Might be you missed something. You're coming with me, then. I'd planned to scout the valley myself, but now I think I'll bring a few friends. Jermaine's hands shook when the warlords, risen who conquered the land they found, brought Judson back to Eton during a midday a week later. Half the town came out to see them. One of the men wore red armor that fit the description of the warlord that Dryden and his lords were waiting for. They say that one risen, reasonably armed, can annihilate an army. Two risen, assuming adequate cover for ghost support, can fight infinite armies indefinitely. Before them, six warlords dismounted their machines in a line at the center of town weapons drawn. They dropped Judson to his knees in front of them. No restraints. He looked unhurt. Does anyone want to claim this runt? asked the red man. We will, Germain said. People groaned. You tried to run to Judson, but her parents held her back. A question first said the red man. Where are the Iron Lords? We saw one of their ghosts. One of these? He tapped the bladed carpus of his own drone companion as it floated past, its eyes fixed on the townspeople. They like to meddle. Maybe they helped you, brought you some food? It would explain how you survived out here in this wasteland but I can guarantee you their motivations are not in your best interest. The red man paused, scanned the crowd as his ghost orbited above him. The Iron Lords are trying to disrupt the established order, and we're here to liberate you from them. You're under our care now. So, where are they? Germain shut his eyes a long moment. When no one else spoke, he decided 
he would. You're right. They were here. But they're long gone. We paid them for supplies and they moved on a week ago. Did they? The red man raised his hand cannon and shot Yu's father in the head. The entire crowd flinched and huddled together as the man fell backward. Yu's mother cried out in fury but held her child tight. Hand my heart, Jermaine said, holding his breath as he waited for the hidden iron lords to make a move. The red man held his gun in the air, watching the townspeople intently. The other warlords scanned the horizon, gleaming weapons at the ready. Judson took the pregnant pause as an opportunity. He pulled a fallen shock blade from one of the warlord machines. He gave a triumphant yell and decapitated the armored risen closest to him. As the body fell, he jabbed the length of the blade through the red man's back. A third warlord pulled the glaive out of Judson's hand and stabbed him in the side with a gauntlet blade, then hurled him backward over the machines. All hell broke loose around Germain as the Iron Lord suddenly opened fire from their positions in the surrounding hills. The townspeople scattered as the fallen warlords rose in scintillating pillars of light. The weapons in their hands roared to life. Some time passes. The ghost watched from high above the chaos. Over the ages, it had gotten very good at hiding. It had gotten very good at all the peculiar things its chosen had asked it to learn. Down below, gunfire and explosions of light tore through the collection of huts and shacks. The townspeople fled for their lives in the midst of fire and otherworldly flame as the Iron Lords finally abandoned their sniper positions in the hills to close in on the warlords at the town center. Through it all, the ghost saw one of the men emerge out of the discharge of an errant explosive device, cradling the body of a child. He moved to relative safety behind one of the shacks and knelt down, holding an ear to the child's face. She was trying to speak. One of the armored riders in the town square raised a heavy machine gun in one hand and raked the length of Eaton with golden tracers. The ghost lost visibility on the townspeople as the hail of machine gun fire filled its vantage point with a rolling cloud of dirt and dust. The annihilating, sense-shattering explosions came soon after, and the ghost increased its elevation. It waited until after, long after the battle had died out, and the surviving Risen had all left, before lowering itself back to the earth. It wasn't even sure which side had won. It didn't matter. The day had turned to dusk. And that's the end of that lore card. Holy... uh, Holy shit. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't ready for this. Um, Dark Ages were brutal. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Um, (laughs) I, I don't even... You take this. I'm... I don't... I'm... What the shit? <laughs> so, 
you know, the 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 red man, presumably, uh, the warlord that the Iron Lords were hunting that they knew were in the area, came upon Judson as he was abandoning the town and uh, interrogated him, probably somewhat forcefully. Um, although yeah. it did say he was unhurt, so maybe not. He may have just sold the town out. Um, and because they knew that there was a settlement of people, uh, they decided, I'm going to bring some backup. And and they described, yeah. like, <laughs> one, one warlord well-armed can fight a whole army. Two of them are nigh impossible to defeat. And he brought six. six. <laughs> a whole a whole raid party shows up yeah. like come at me, bro. This whole the whole raid party shows up in the middle. Dude, this is this is this is this is tombstone. <laughs> this is this is fucking Doc Holiday and this is Tombstone. That's exactly what the hell just happened here. Though in a much a much more flashier, flarier way, like I mean, it blows used dad away. It's boom. Fuck that guy. And then, like, for the... I don't know, man. Like, for the Iron Lords to have... For the Iron Lords that are obviously watching this whole thing from sniper purges, to have that much restraint to not instantly start lighting people up. Like, to let that play out, see what happens, see if these if these six guys will just leave the town alone. And, I mean, obviously it turns out they won't. Um, but, yeah, like... And then and then this whole scene of... of Judson, like you know, nobody's answering. Like everyone's holding their breath for something to happen, and he's like, "All right, something's gonna happen." Boom! Knife blade, decapitation, knife and back. Let's go! Like shit, <laughs> you know, like all hell breaks loose. This is this is showdown at the OK Corral. This is this is Tombstone. This is this is the Wild West. Like this is this is the this is the Wild West with paracausal ability. That that's. I don't know. That's might be more dangerous. I think that's more dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, and then I I'm assuming the little girl is you and you's died, and it's just like, holy shit, man! Risen were or or the warlords, not risen warlords, were assholes. And one could argue the Iron Lords weren't much better in this instance for right? using a settlement <laughs> as as bait. As bait, like, a whole town of people that that are obviously not risen as bait. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know who's who's worse, who's bet. Like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, man, I don't know, man. This kind, of, I mean, that that's the last line of the lore card. Like, the ghost couldn't, didn't recognize who who won in the end, and it didn't matter. Didn't even matter. Jesus, man. I was not ready for this card. <laughs> I was like the whole time I was just like like just oh oh god no no not you no not to dad like freaking out like holy shit. Okay. See this is this is one part where Myth likes when I don't do my homework because then I have these reactions to him because he's read all these and he's just reading them essentially to me and all of you our listeners. <laughs> But when he reads them to me, and I'm just like, "Ma, what happened?" Like that's yeah, no, Jesus, man, 
Jesus. Well, I mean, we're we're definitely getting a glimpse into the into the Dark Ages. Like, yes. they were called the Dark Ages for the reason for a reason. Like, that's this is this is every everything it, complete lawlessness. Compl- like, I I get that the Iron Lords are trying to create some sense of thing, but like even even the even the Warlords are like, hey, you're disrupting the the established order. Like, this is what which. Again, that I, I'm coming, kind of coming back to the idea of the first ghosts that were let out. Like, are are all these ghosts just like screw it? I'm just gonna let these guys murder everyone. Like, how are the ghosts like not looking at like? I don't know, man. It's it's weird to think that like the ghosts they res these guys and or, or I guess they, they they raise them for the first time. And the first thing the dude does is like, I'm going to go kill a town or something like, and so they go do that. And then the ghost is like, all right, cool. What's next, buddy? Like that. It's just, it's such an, it's such an odd concept to think about that. Like these writ, this is just complete lawlessness here. But yeah, no, I'm just, Oh, I'm still a little shooken up from this one. Holy crap. Well, buckle up. Oh, fuck <laughs> me. All right. <laughs> so we're going to um, not finish out this lore book, but finish out this little arc of the Drifter's history in Home Part 4. And it goes like this. The man opened his eyes and took an even breath. Almost nothing was where he remembered it. Eaten was gone. Blasted and paved. Mild climate was the only reason the shacks and huts that made up most of the town remained standing. But the storm of light versus light had left scorched earth and shadows behind, and the bones of the dead. It was a blood-red husk. Ghosts hovered above him. The man looked down at his hands. He tried to chuckle, but coughed instead. Are you all right? Ghost asked. He stood up, straighter than he had in a long time. Easier to seem like people when you slouch. Germain, Ghost asked. That's not my name. You let them call you that. The man turned to look at his ghost. It's not my name. One of the warlords mentioned seeing a lone ghost. Did you get sloppy? Ghost nodded. I'm sorry. I was scouting a new livestock route for you, and I got carried away. I don't ask for much, said the man, shaking his head. Shovel. Get me one. Ghost scanned the debris and ash to find a charred spade, lifting it with a lasso of light. The man slowly gathered all the bones he could find and began to dig. The child, you, Ghost continued. Stop talking, he replied. What did she tell you? You were speaking to her at the end. He didn't respond. It would be lifetimes before he told Ghost the answer, but he would remember. You could have helped her. The shovel hit the dirt hard. I told you to shut up. You could have saved them all. The man had nothing to say. 
He must have been making more noise than he thought, because just as he finished digging a grave big enough for the bones, a voice called out. He dropped the shovel, stared across the vacant town square at the smoldering ruin of the Diaz barn. Eaton was dead. No point in keeping his secret any longer. He crossed the distance at a speed and ease that would have shocked his neighbors, and rounded a corner to find Judson on the ground, leaning against the barn door. There was a cannon in Judson's hand, and his eyes opened wide when he recognized the man and his ghost. Judson lifted the gun with a shaking fist. His other hand clutched a dark stain on his side. He's lost a lot of blood, Ghost said, its light spilling across the scene. You were one of them all along, Judson sneered. The man chuckled. All my lives, brother. You got us killed, you son of a... The man kicked the firearm out of Judson's hand with no urgency at all. He knelt down and pointed a finger. No, no, that one's on you. Those warlords caught you. What else were they gonna do? I wanted to stop you from leaving, but I didn't think I had the right. Judson reached out to grab his throat. The man caught his hand in a vice grip instead. A crushing handshake. Judson frowned and struggled, but he was exhausted, dying, and the man had strength that beliled his frame. The man lifted his other hand, smoldering from a solar glow, and held it against Judson's wound. His former friend managed a high-pitched wail, but couldn't break the man's grip, though he tried and tried. The man nodded at Judson, addressing his ghost. Do you see how he never gives up? Because he knows this one life is all he has. No fear. Those risen out there? The man finished cauterizing the wound and used his suddenly cool hand to wave indiscriminately into the darkening night. They'd be long dead if they were him. All they know is war. This man survives. Judson made a gurgling sound. He had stopped struggling, but the man kept a grip on his hand. You wanted me to save him? Even if this works, he can never show me how to live. Not like he lives. And that's on you. Ghost watched, but made minute adjustments to his orbiting shell, and sent light-based scans cascading across the ruins of town. If there were lingering warlords or iron lords nearby, they would have to run. The man stood up. Judson was dead. Maybe you should have told him you were bringing livestock from a hundred leagues away and releasing them for him to catch, Ghost said. I mean, did you see how happy he was? How they all were? They got to eat, the man replied. Give someone something to chase and you give them purpose. You're pathetic. This is what you aspire to be? A perennial liar who plays house with refugees? These people are dead because of us. I lived here as one of them. You could be so much more. Let me show you how powerful your light can become. 
the man walked past his ghost and brought Judson's corpse to the center of town. As he began digging again, he noticed the bloated spherical husk that dominated the sky. It had been out of his life for a while, but it seemed a lot closer to Earth tonight. He raised a hand to salute it with a single finger as Ghost looked on. How you living? he said, and gave a smile to the heavens that ended at his eyes. And that is the end of that lore card. Well, shit! <laughs> that's... That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> I didn't see any of that coming. Um, shit. So Jermaine mm-hmm. is the... Well, shit. I mean, all right. All right. That's... I'm I'm curious as to why he was shaking. Like I I mean I guess I get it. Like these are these are warlords. They're super ruthless. Like e- even in the eyes of another risen, they're they're still super ruthless, right? Like that's it. They they and then like to see the Iron Lords like even even show some type of like we're gonna fight these guys. Like and and Jermaine uh, just wanted to live live a life, but then you know him seeing. Like, first, okay, first off, I want to point out the strength here. He's literally carrying cattle from leagues away just so Judson could hunt them. Yeah. And and feed the town just to, just to see a man be happy. Holy shit. Risen are powerful. Like, crazy powerful. Like, mm-hmm. And and to be that powerful, and for the ghost to bit then be like, you could be so much more. Just let me show you with your light. And he's like, get the hell out of my face. And then flips off the traveler, and <laughs> buries the dead. Yeah. But yeah, like the thought that that he did all that just just so he could live a normal life and he could see happiness in other people. Man, he's this this guy's deep, man. I don't. I don't know that I'm ready for this. (laughs) There's a lot more to Drifter than most people think. Uh, Yeah. And, and so we see where the Drifter's first name, the name of Jermaine came from, was from his time in Eaton. Wow. Jesus Christ, man. I, I'm still, I'm just, this whole story is like, ah, I'm just bawling my (laughs) eyes out. I'm, this is, this is this is oh keep going keep going keep going <laughs> <laughs> so we are we're gonna continue this lore book uh there's a unknown time jump here that that takes place between the end of of the last chapter and the beginning of this chapter um and uh drifter is now under a new name uh he is no longer goes by Jermaine. he now goes by wu ming uh, and the Iron Lords are a much more established, uh, group at this point. Um, Fellwinter Peak is a, uh, a known Iron Lord base. Um, so with, with all of that in mind, we're going to get into the next chapter, which is Loose Ends Part 1. And, uh, I, I do want to point out the flavor text for this chapter is... I never forgive, and I never forget. 
I live a hard life from a dark age drifter. So the lore card, though, goes like this. Wu Ming's bar wasn't always bustling, but it was this afternoon. Wu served anyone who could pay, but his clientele were often risen. Not because he provided a menu particularly suited to them, but because he had built his bar at the foot of a mountain called Fellwinter Peak. Fellwinter was a former warlord, the only one, it was said, to hold an entire mountain all by himself. He now rode with the Iron Lords, and Fellwinter Peak was staunchly the territory of the Iron Wolves. They had never given Wu permission to build the bar. He had never asked. Almost to a person, the patrons tonight were without ghosts. High winds and inhospitable cold meant those without ghosts rarely visited. But tonight, word had reached the general population that warlords were back in the region. No shots had been fired. Not yet. But it was enough to get every poor, lightless wretch from miles around Wu's bar. Where chances were an iron lord or lady might also be having a drink. Wu Ming didn't mind. The door swung open again and a trio of armored figures marched in from the cold. Welcome to the end of the world, greeted the serving frame. The warlord shouldered past the 5530 and headed straight for Wu Ming at the counter. What can I get you? Wu asked, giving a smile that ended at his eyes. The leading warlord, a hulking man with a shoulder guard larger than his brain, grunted, Food. Everything you have. Wu raised an eyebrow. Sure, that'll be, well, a lot of glimmer. You don't understand, the giant man said, grabbing Wu by the lapels of his storm coat. Give us everything you have in the back, or we'll gut you and eat you alive. Hey, Sidon, a woman's voice said. Pick on someone your own size. All eyes turned to a helmeted figure standing a few feet behind Sidon. She only came up to the giant man's sternum. Lady Ephrodite, Sighton muttered. Wu Ming's gaze went from the Iron Lady to the three warlords positioned around the bar amongst his lightless patrons. He cursed under his breath and braced to duck. And that's the end of that lore card. Sounds like somebody's going to have to rebuild his bar pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) For anyone that's heard the dialogue from Drifter um, talking about... uh, well, I'm trying to remember exactly what it is. Like, I haven't seen shooting like that since uh, an Iron Lady came into my bar. Um, yeah, that that is this scene. That is Lady yeah. Ephrodite, uh, presumably kicking these three warlords out of Wu Ming's bar. Well, and and a, another name here, Sighton. Is this Sighton from like Sighton Ramparts? Yes, it is. Like that. That's his personal like. Yep. Arm armor? Yep. Exotic? Which sure anyway, is. I don't I don't speak Titan. I'm sorry <laughs> to all you Titan mains out there. I don't I I suck horribly at Titan, so I I the fact that I picked up on that, I'm proud of myself. Yes. Um, this this is the Warlord Titan who is the namesake of the Titan Rampart uh exotic arms. 
and and Lady Ephrodite, who now obviously at this time this is this is very early on, but in our our current time right now in Destiny, she's the only living Iron Lord now because her and Saladin, Saladin is now well, well it, yeah, because did Saladin give up his title last season or, um, or season of the Risen? I mean, it's never because he's Valis Forge now, right? It's never plainly said. He still runs the Iron Banner. Uh, so he did. He did leave his axe down there in the helm, though. The axe, and he left his pendant. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, you could say that's him retiring in a way, or or sure. I would say trying to pass the torch onto Crow, but it is literally <laughs> never acknowledged after that point. So yeah. no, Crow, I don't know. It's never talked about, never anything. Yeah. But yeah. So obviously Lady Ephrodite and Saiten are about to uh, light up poor Wu Ming's bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get to see what happens or, or, you know, Imagine what happens uh, in the very next chapter. So uh, this is Loose Ends Part 2. Oh, man. Are we going to have another? Is this? Okay. So I guess this <laughs> is Showdown at the OK Corral. The last one was Tombstone. Now we're Showdown at the OK Corral. Yeah. It's just Drifter isn't isn't necessarily, or I guess Wu Ming isn't part Germaine, whatever, isn't <laughs> part of the, Well, I guess he is part of it because it's his bar. Anyway. Yeah. But he, okay. he plays the role of onlooker more than anything. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so Loose Ends Part 2 goes like this. Wu Ming looked on as the warlord surrounded the lone Iron Lady. End of the world is wolves' territory, Ephrodite was saying, and so is the entirety of Fellwinter Peak. That changes tonight. A crescent of light arced between the warlord's open hands. I have an army of raiders and a fire team of Risen waiting on my command. Fellwinter's lost his mind siding with you lot. Underneath the helmet, Sighton's eyes flickered from the Iron Lady to his warlord ally positioned behind her. The flanking warlord raised a massive hand cannon and thundered a bullet directly into Sighton's chest as Ephrodite dropped to a knee. She swung her cannon to her right side with her left fist and let loose with a roaring double tap behind her, shattering the rear warlord's head. Wu Ming saw that she hadn't so much as looked. The third warlord's submachine weapon fired a spray of bullets that hammered the floor as Ephrodite rolled. Wu cursed inwardly as wood, splintered went f- as wood splinters went flying all over the room and people screamed. But it was already over. The third warlord crumpled. Ephrodite's solar knife had divided his head. Hold, the lady barked, firing her cannon into the ceiling as three ghosts materialized above their charges. Bits of wood fell on her shoulder. Wu Ming cursed audibly this time. You know who I am, she shouted at the room. At this distance, I could shoot all of you out of the air swifter than you could ever bring your risen back. The traveler's children froze their shells spinning aggressively in the air like metallic bees. You're free to go, she told them, but your risen stay with me. Follow the Iron Decree, and you'll get them back in time. The ghosts looked at one another. Tell the warlords, she sneered, Fellwinter Peak belongs to the wolves. The ghosts left the way their owners came, 
and the bar's patrons began murmuring. Aphrodite's ghost, always a quick thinker, started playing music, Lady Scory singing an old hymn. The patrons backed away from their three warlord bodies but began chattering amongst themselves. The din of conversation gradually filled the room and built to a dull roar. The music helped. Is this why you asked me here? Ephrodite said, holstering her weapon. You said you had some business that paid. I did. You just finished it, he responded, reaching out with a fistful of glimmer. The Iron Lady stared down at it, gawking beneath her helmet. Who the hell pays you? I have means, Wu Ming said, chuckling. Stick with me, sister. I'll make you rich, I promise. She eagerly took the sapphire cubes out of his hand. Glimmer represented pure material potential. You didn't bring Foe Winter, Wu said. She eyed him. I told you he'd never come down from the peak unless it's official Iron Lord business. What do you need from him? Hey, what are you doing later? Wu asked suddenly. Hunting Fallen. They're becoming a problem at Boyle Pass. We'll be at it till dusk, Ephrodite said, lifting the helmet just above her mouth to grab a drink from behind the counter and swallow an entire mug of the malt Wu served. She belched and asked, Care to join us? Her smile, just beneath the helm, was all teeth. Wu chuckled. Nah, mere mortal at a risen fight? I just get in the way. He thought for a second. Would you like to dance before you go? Nah, she said, imitating his tone. The helm came down. He cocked his head over the music, then leaned in to ask. Wait. What did you think I said? Would you like to dance before you go? She repeated. I would love to, he said, stepping forward, arms wide. She sidestepped him and kicked his leg out from under him. He went tumbling to the ground and someone spilled their drink on him. I had to try, he called from the floor, watching her go. The plume of her helm rose above the crowd and was already halfway out the door. Take the bodies, he yelled, still on the ground. Some time passes. It took him three hours to climb the peak that night. He was shivering in his long coat, and if not for his ghost, he would have succumbed to the cold long ago. Ghost was hidden, of course. The massive castle doors were already open when he arrived at the top. An exo eyes glowing in its sleek black skull, stood just beyond them. It released whatever weapon it was reaching for inside its great coat when Wu Ming approached with his hands held high. I come in peace, brother. And that's the end of that lore card. Man. Man. Man! Effort eats a badass! (laughs) (laughs) She did it. She did it. Like... They're all dead, and they're mine now. Yep. Suck it, ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Holy. And and you know you know what this is though. This is this is this is the bar at Mos Eisley's. That's I realize that now. Like you know, fucking pew pew pew. People's hands are on the ground. Oh no! <laughs> and then 
Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened here. And the fact that her ghost knows the theme song to Cantina Bar, like, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, it just, I, I like, it. I'm, I'm still amazed at how much Wu Ming now uh, wants to hide his ghost, like, wants to hide the fact that he, like, and and he's so like he's so himself here, right? Like, hey, you want to dance? Like in the middle of like, no, what? Shut up! And then like turn like, oh wait, no, what was what did you think I said? Do you want to dance? I'd love to. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like smooth, smooth, brother. Yeah, that's that's what's happening here. Um, I love that he has he has one of his lines in here too. Like, stick with me, sister, and I'll make you rich. I promise. He's, I mean, mm-hmm. he says that all the time. And like, we're seeing so many classic Gambit lines throughout all of these readings. Um, but yeah, like, I I'm curious as to what Wu's obsession with Fellwinter is, because he was so. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, at least what I gathered from this interaction was that he was so sure that Lady Ephrodite would bring Fellwinter down to the bar to to essentially deal with this BS that was about to play out in front of him. Um, but then, like, at the end of it, he climbs the peak, like, mm-hmm. to just to see Fellwinter. Like, and, and I know I know we haven't, like, at least here in Myths and Stories, we haven't talked a lot about Fellwinter and the Iron Lords and stuff, but... Trust me, we we've been thinking about it, and it's definitely high on our to do list. Um, but yeah, I mean, Felwinter is kind of a special um, exo. I yeah. like. I hesitate to use the word exo. I know they describe him as an exo, and it it he is the only exo that doesn't have a number. Yes, and there's a very good reason for that. That we're not going to talk about in this episode. God damn it. I thought I was going to get to derail this. All right. All right. Um, you win. You win this one. Yeah. But no, it's it's good to key in. Like he he told Ephrodi like, hey, I have a paying job for you. Like he he knew that these Risen were going to come into the bar probably tonight. Yep. So he told her like, hey, come see me. I've got a job that pays real well. And uh she you know deals with the warlords and is like okay what was your job and he's like that was it good job thanks thanks buddy <laughs> and uh you know i i think he passed it off as his very unsuccessful flirting but um him asking her like hey what do you what do you I don't doing know i think that was night? pretty freaking smooth man i, I mean, think it was I... smooth it it didn't you know she didn't it clearly everything's all right through it right yeah, yeah no that's yeah but um, but I I think his main goal for that wasn't necessarily to to try and you know take Ephrodite out. I think it was him getting that information out of her because now he knows Felwinter is alone tonight, like no yep. one else is up in the peak. Yep. Uh, and because he's so, you know, he he's has this need to keep the fact that he's a, a risen secret. Um, you know, it's one less person that would potentially know because he's going to climb this peak, uh, yep. to go, go meet with Fellwinter and, you know, at least meets him enough to give an introduction at the end of the lore card. But we, uh, we get into 
why he wanted to talk to Felwinter in the very next card. And I just want to bring us back to uh, that flavor text from the first, from Loose Ends Part 1. I never forgive and I never forget. So with that in mind, Loose Ends Part 3 goes like this. It wasn't much warmer inside, though Felwinter's ghost had lit the fireplace for Wu. He sat across from the former warlord, both of them in massive gothic chairs. Who are you? Felwinter spoke first. Your neighbor. I live downstairs. Been trying to get your attention for a month, Wu Ming grinned. What do you want? Wu thought about it. I heard you kill. A necessity of life in this post-collapse existence. No, I'm talking risen. Final deaths. It's gotten real taboo recently. You Iron Lords are changing things. Who are you? I don't believe you've been honest with me. Felwinter's voice echoed through the chamber. Wu Ming leaned back and rubbed his temples. His hand shook. Felwinter stared, unblinking. Wu had the feeling the Exo would sit, frozen in time, until he said something. Ah. Ghost, Wu Ming beckoned. His only friend in the world materialized out of the air. Is that supposed to impress me? Felwinter asked without a shred of irony. How else would you have survived the climb? Wu coughed. Ghost shook its head at him. Let me ask again, then, Wu Ming said, straightening to his full posture in this stupid chair. Will you break the Iron Decree? Will you kill for real? As a warlord, I did many things I am not proud of. Under the Iron Lords, I adhere to strict rules of engagement, Felwinter said. His voice sounded hollow inside his armored skin. Ghosts are not valid targets. I heard you care very much about right and wrong and the delivery of justice to those who deserve it. Felwinter's eyes glowed brighter. I can't think of a more human act, he said after a moment's pause. I don't know that anyone has a right to that, but I believe in revenge with all my heart, and I have a request, knowing that you do what you do. Bellwinter tapped his chin. What are you asking me? So Wu Ming told him a story about a long-forgotten town far away called Eaton, early in the Age of Iron Lords. A lord called Dryden had brought back had brought food for this town's starving people, but in return asked to use them as bait to bring a local warlord into position for an ambush. This, Wu had learned, went against the code set out by Lord Radagast, the founder of the order. Dryden had broken the rule of involving lightless individuals in Iron Lord business, because it was those people the Iron Lords had unified to protect. 
The town had agreed, of course. What choice did it have? But the ambush had gone horribly wrong. The warlord Target, Target had brought a whole fire team to the fight. Eaton's erasure was utter and complete. Though Wu later learned that Dryden won the battle, he lost every lord under his command, ghosts and all, and he committed to the additional sin of inflicting final deaths on the warlords he defeated in an act of bloodlust and rage. In the intervening years, Wu had learned that Dryden kept this all under wraps and that he and his ghost were now among the most decorated of lords, next to the likes of rising champions like Lord Saladin and Lady Ephrodite themselves. Felwinter sat frozen in his chair. It was difficult to tell if he had registered any of what Wu Ming had said. How do I know you're not lying? The hollow voice asked finally. I have live recordings, Wu replied. His ghost transmitted a data stream to Felwinter's ghost, who nodded. Eaton, who were those people to you? Nothing. Just ghosts. You want revenge for people you care nothing about? Is the dark horse of iron for hire? Felwinter stood and politely motioned for Wu Ming to take his leave. Wu sighed, shrugged, and left the chamber. He had a long climb down ahead of him. The XO parted his coat and drew a long bronze shotgun from his side. What do you think? his ghost asked. Call Lord Dryden. Prepare my Iron Banner arsenal. And that's the end of that lore card. Does does he did he just use dim there at the end? <laughs> that's that's cheating. I mean, I get it. You're in a, a social space. So you, he totally just used dim at the end. This this guy, this guy, <laughs> this this is. I mean, I, there's there's a. I don't know, like there's a, there's like a there's like a satisfactory thing to it, right? Like there's like a, you know, it's 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 nice to see. Drifter wanting to kind of get revenge. And I say I say revenge. I I don't necessarily think it is revenge. I think it's in Drifter's eyes, and Drifter wooming whatever, justice. Yes. I think more than anything. I I don't think that it's it's straight revenge or anything like that. He he. I I think he he truly. I don't I don't know that he truly cared for the town or not, but he liked the way that he lived there. And this Iron Lord forsake, or you know, he, didn't matter if he if he forsaked everything of, against the Iron Code or not. But the fact that this Iron Lord specifically took all that away from him, so I guess it's like part revenge and part justice, right? Like justice for the people of Eden, because because even even at the end of of the of the story of of Eden, like he he was still very shaken obviously like burying bodies yeah. and and then screaming at his ghost like this is your fault like you brought this shit here like this is bullshit and and poor poor i've already forgotten the dead guy's name 
<laughs> Judson. Uh, yeah. Poor Judson, like just literally dying there in his arms, and now he's got another body he's got to bury. Like, and and for for all of that, for Judson to be pissed and 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 like I, I don't know. This it's it's like a little bit of everything. It's like a little bit of revenge, a little bit of justice, a little bit of like, you know, I don't. I, I hesitate to say righteousness, but kinda. Yeah, a little bit. Like he's, you know, he never forgives and he never forgets, and he's just acting on, on that essentially on that Cree. Yeah. Um. So this next one, um, is going to be a little different. Uh, because I have to give a tad bit of context for another character to explain her interaction um, with Drifter. Hey, now, I, if I don't get a derail, you don't get a derail, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to derail much more than like immediate context. Uh, no, so the next uh, lore card that I'm going to read is going to be um, kind of two put into one. I'm going to be reading both... Uh, the syn- synesthesia from the um, ecstasies or ecclesies book. All these words are hard words, and I swear they're just made up by Bungie. I mean, yeah. Um, and I, I'm also going to be fitting in the sunbreak mark uh, in there as well, because the, they're kind of uh, two scenes that play out at the same time. Or, or one is a kind of closer look at a scene described in the other. Okay. Is it like the, the same scene from two points of view type thing? Uh, kind of, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the, the person that we need to have some context on here um, is a character named uh, Oren. And... Ooh. I'm not going to get too much into Oren because she has a very big part to play in a whole nother story that we're going to cover um, with the nine. But Oren does cross paths with the drifter uh, during this, during this time in his life when he's still going by the name Wu Ming. Um, and to, to give a little bit of context, uh, at the time they meet, Oren has just received word that her, um, yeah, for lack of a better term, her lover named Namki, uh, it has gone missing and is presumed dead. There's so, there's so much more to it. Than I, that. Know, I, I know. I know. I just, I, I know we will cover it when we get there. Yeah. This is drifter episode for now. Drifter episode make for me now. cry. Uh, and, and Oren is, uh, so has just received, uh, what is essentially the, the final words of Namki, this final transmission that was sent out. Um, and, uh, Oren has had this fascination with the nine prior to this and trying to discover what are the nine, who are the nine, um, what powers do they have? How do they relate to everything else going on? Uh, and so she she has this unique um, uh, expertise with research in, into the nine, 
Um, she's just received this very tragic news and is trying to grapple with that. And uh, at this time in her life is when she meets Wu Ming. So I'm going to read, uh, this isn't even all of this lore card. It's just kind of the last half or, or third of it. Uh, but the lore card is uh, synesthesia uh, from the uh, Ecclesis lore book. I'm probably butchering those. But um, the relevant little bit goes like this. On the day she meets Wu Ming, she is on Bamberga. She's just left a Jensen lab, and she has read a transcript of Namki's last words. Her hands are shaking. She feels nauseous. She feels she can see herself in third person, toldering to a safe place to sit and cry. And Wu Ming is a bonfire in the darkness, and she crawls towards his warmth. Pause. I'm going to pause there. There's more to that card that we're going to read. But we get a little bit of that scene uh, from um, a, a, a zoomed-in perspective, I guess, like uh, from an actual little conversation that they have. Uh, so... We have, uh, as this initial meeting, we see in the Sunbreak Mark, a uh, legendary Titan uh, class item. Uh, and it describes their meeting like this. I feel like I knew you, Wu Ming says, careful and slow, like he's snipping the wire on a bomb. Orin searches his face for hidden meanings, but... She sees nothing but exhilarated fear. Yeah? Yeah, he says. You remind me of someone I used to crew with back in the Dark Ages. You came up back then, right? She chews on her lip, and the sensation causes her mind to buzz. Yeah, she says, centering herself. I did. I, uh... She looks at Goal, her ghost, for validation. His wings are tucked tight against his shell, small and wary. Goal rezzed me somewhere east of New Wolge. Made my way south from there. Is that so? Huh. He pretends to think about it. You ever run with the Pilgrim God? That sparks a memory. Orin narrows her eyes. I did. Yeah, me too. Used to be close with one of them. Lady had a tattoo of a snake right here. Wu Ming taps his arm. His hand shakes. You ever seen a tattoo like that? Orin clasps her hand protectively over her upper arm, covering her tattoo. So we're going to... That's the end of that card. Uh, what I want to touch on real briefly here, cause I know this is dealing with some subject matter we haven't talked about. Um, the pilgrim guard was essentially exactly that. It was a group of, uh, light bearers helping new light, uh, newly risen people reach. Uh, I think at that time it was the iron Lords. Um, so this tells us that drifter presumably under a different name, 
uh, than Wu Ming, perhaps still is germane at that time, uh, had been in this pilgrim guard guiding others uh, and that he had met Oren at some point prior to this initial meeting. Um, and maybe that's why she felt comfortable with him. But regardless, we, uh, they spend a little more time together than just that one interaction. And we're going to return to the synesthesia card for the rest of that. So, uh, in this, in her time of mourning, she finds Wu Ming. Uh, he knows her or knows of her. Um, they, they have some familiarity there to, to start with. Uh, and we're going to continue the card saying this. Wu Ming is ravenous for her stories of the nine. He asks whether she's met them, whether they can give a man power, whether they know a way out of this solar system. Orin cannot answer any of his questions, but she cannot keep her own stories down. She's sick with them. They come out in a compulsive, billowous stream, and when she's emptied, she talks of herself, of her grief, of her restlessness, how she feels the most alive in the empty spaces between blinks, how she feels she is a snake perpetually sloughing away its skin, except this last molt is all wrong, and she's caught in the ghost throat of her old self. Wu Ming leaves his questions by the wayside as he is drawn inexorably into the gravity well of her desperate honesty. Her confessions lower his defenses. He talks of himself, of his fear, of his loneliness, how he feels he is one fingernail away from plummeting into an abyss, how he feels vicious resentment every time he is brought back from the dead. He never asked for the gift of light. They make excuse after excuse to meet again. Every conversation is colored by excavated truths. Every day they feel they will reach some bedrock that will break them to pieces. It is as frightening as it is intoxicating. And then, something happens. Because the next little bit here from Oren is this. Lies, lies, lies. He is not Wu Ming. He is a man named Eli, a man named Dredgen Hope, a man named the Drifter. He is not vulnerable. He is a paranoid con man. He is a dead-hearted murderer. He is a cowardly liar. He is not her friend. He is waiting to make his move. He has always been waiting to make his move. She is stupid. She is so stupid to have fallen for his lies. She cannot mend this. She leaves, and so too does the light. The severance is absolute in its terror. She has not felt such a profound sense of schism. It cannot be mended. So that's the end of where we're going to be reading for these two lore cards tonight. There's a, there's a lot there. Holy shit, that was... Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot, but, I mean... Jesus Christ, how many names does this guy have? So I think it's it's worth 
you know, pointing out that the lore book about the origin of the Drifter is called Man with No Name. Right. Uh, his, his ghost presumably never has never given him a name. Um, he's only gone by an, either whatever name is most convenient or whatever name the other people have given him. Yeah. So I, we could say that informs us about his, his distrust in the light, his, his, I guess maybe hatred for being um, chosen to, to be arisen so much so that he doesn't even want to accept a name from the agent of, of the light that, that is to blame for his situation. Yeah. Well, and even even in even in what here seems, I mean, borderline lovers. Uh, yeah, that's definitely the vibe I'm getting, and it's it's difficult um, in this particular lore card to understand uh, the passage of time between these sure. events, especially because it's happening between the stories right. being told in in multiple lore cards. Now we do we do see some of this scene in the um or we did I say I should say see some of this scene in the season of the drifter way back when. Oh yeah, those the scenes at 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 um oh god, where were they? Were they just in the, like the the presence of the emissary? Yeah, like you'd visit the emissary and she would essentially give you a a cut scene. Um, yeah. of one of, uh, of something about the drifter of, of an interaction with the drifter, um, that she had as, as Oren. And one of those scenes is Oren leaving is Oren saying like, you know, you are nothing but a miserable liar. Um, I yeah. never should have believed you and <laughs> in, go to hell essentially <laughs> yeah, in that scene. Drifter seems, uh, I would say honestly distressed at her leaving. Yeah. Like a like a genuine sadness. Yeah, like he he is nearly begging her to to stay. Yeah. Uh, which would imply to me that they had a very deep friendship if not romantic relationship. Yeah. And that's like and and again for for Drifter like I mean, even even before in the in the in the earlier books where it talks about how, like Ghost, his only friend, like this is this is probably the one person in the entire world. Because I mean, all those names. I mean, the whole Dredgen thing, like that's a that's a whole thing on its own. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Wu Ming, Eden, like or, or not Eden, Jermaine, uh, like um, what was there's even another name mentioned there too. Eli. Eli, I mean, we got literally. He just he, I mean, she looks at him now as as like this con man, and and I don't know, I don't know that it's it's much of a con man. I I'm curious. It it almost seems like it's a man running from everything. Which I I mean, I guess I guess a con man isn't isn't you know that like. I guess I guess there's not there's not much to a con man other than running from everything, but in this sense, he really does seem like just a man running from everything. Like he doesn't he he doesn't have any type of direction that he wants to be in. But then to be like called out on it, like and and he's like, no, please 
don't go. Yeah. Man. So this poor guy. He just can't catch a break. To to um add a little more perspective to that Eli name especially, uh, and his time running in, in the Pilgrim Guard, uh, and why finding out who he was was uh to to Oren such an additional betrayal. Um there there's another lore card I want to read, which is the illicit Reaper uh Mark, Titan Mark from the uh the original um Gambit Prime set, I guess, was the the re- the illicit yeah. stuff. Yeah. You you got them from Reckoning, but they were all they, they, were they only four, had effects in yeah. Gambit Prime, yeah. So um, this is the interaction between Orin and Drifter that he remembered, but she did not upon their second meeting. Uh, And it goes like this. The first time he met her, the starkest thing about her was her tattoo. A snake coiled on her arm. He would remember that snake when he realized he needed a symbol to motivate the masses in another lifetime for a game he called Gambit. It was before the rise of the place humanity would come to call the last safe city. He was a true drifter floating from place to place like smoke. Some people had taken to calling him drifter. He had many names, and he went by none of them. She knew him then as Eli. And the second time he met her, he asked, Would you like to dance before you go? Not now, she had said. Wait, what did you think I said? He asked. Would you like to dance? She repeated. I'd love to, he said, and stepped forward with his arms in the air. She chuckled. He paused. This has never worked before, he said. He joined her in the pilgrim guard. They fought alongside each other. He saved her life. She saved his. He was convinced that she was his best friend. He was wrong. Because one day, he never saw her again. Not as she was. And it's the end of that card. Oh, That's sad. So he... He had had this interaction. He had tried the same trick that he did with Ephrodite, except hey, this time it worked. It that's worked. why I'm, that's freaking smooth. <laughs> that is smooth. I, man, younger me, learn this trick. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So it, it just to to give a little more context to the first time they met, and for her to to now know that like Wu Ming is Eli. And from her eyes, has been using her to extract information and wait for the right moment to to con her in some way. And I, I think from his perspective, both when he was Eli, or known to her as Eli, and now as Wu Ming, I think may be one of the first times he's been honest with somebody else. Um, yep. You know, cause, I think you're right. Because he, he said that, uh, or, or it says, you know, her confessions lower his defenses. He talks of himself, of his fear, of his loneliness, how he feels yep. he's one fingernail away from plummeting into an abyss, uh, and his resentment towards being brought back from the dead. 
Uh, I don't think those are things he would have discussed with somebody that he was just trying to con. I think you're right. Cause that's like, that's the whole thing with a con man. Like, uh, your whole, your whole point is to, is to get something over on everyone and then skip out and, and, and just be on to the next con. Yeah. Whereas like here, it definitely seems like he had that. He wanted to share something with her. He wanted that deeper meaning of life type deal. Like that's it again, whether, whether, whether he noticed it or not, or he realized it or not, it was happening. Like, cause, cause that's the one thing that, that, that like what you're saying, he says things about himself. He talks about himself more than he would with anyone. Like to, to let your guard down like that is not a, is, is not a active thing that a con person would do. At least, at least that I know of. I think, I think you're right. I think he is, uh, he's truly, he's truly sharing something of himself here. At least, at least with, with Oren. Mm-hmm. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, she doesn't have, you know, has good reason to, to doubt that. And, uh, due to some of the other things that were going on with her, um, she left and never had the opportunity to come back, uh, in, in the way that he last saw her at least. Yep. But so with that giant cliffhanger for a different, story altogether hey no 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 that is not fair (laughs) (laughs) no that's there's definitely obviously there's there's a lot more to that than there is um and and we will definitely cover um because i this the nine is is like myth really wanted wanted to cover the drifter and i i have been wanting to cover the nine for a while and i think i think that'd be another fun one for us to do but yeah yeah i think they will probably be um definitely when we do this season uh, probably one that we do, I would imagine within the next, um, couple of episodes, we'll be starting our, our tales with the nine. I think that's actually going to be a good, a good spot to, to stop for tonight. Good stopping point. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. So we will finish off the drifter with a, uh, a part two next week, and then we will be on to other stories. Maybe the nine, maybe something else. Ooh. I, uh, yeah, I'd love that. Okay. Uh, well, that brings us to shout outs. What do we got myth? Yeah. So we have, um, a couple of shout outs here that are, uh, um, text shout outs, I guess. Uh, the first is a, uh, review that was left for us on audible of all places. Uh, I did not know we were even on audible until, uh, about a month ago. Um, so, uh, this person, they're listed as anonymous user. So thank you, whoever you are. Uh, they left us a five-star review, um, saying loved your insight at the end on strand referring to our last episode. Uh, I did a little, the same thing on Ishtar and still missed some of the things you guys found. Keep it up. Excellent as always. So thank you, anonymous. (laughs) Yeah. Myth, myth is the. He's the mastermind here. I'm I'm just I'm just a warm body. <laughs> no, it, I like I still I'm I'm still blown away the the strand thing of the the boots from uh from the 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 raid layer, right? Like I, that's what I'm still blown away by as far as strand, but yeah. Myth Myth does a lot of digging uh for these. Like he he I I think he has a lot better memory than I do as well. 
Um, but that's not really saying much for me because like I have a memory of a squirrel. So I mean, I mean, y'all see how often I get derailed here. Hell, I tried to do it today and miss. Boom, denied. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, thank you, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to find uh, those, the little extra info for you. Yeah. Um, we have two other shout outs that came to us from uh, our Twitter. We have one coming to us from uh, Tyler uh, or at 62 stitches uh, is their, their tag. They say, love the lore reading and theories. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. And we have another from blazing legacy. Uh, who says my favorite podcast, always something awesome to look forward to been recommending you to my friends. Thank you Aww. again. I, we've, we've been getting a lot of people recommending us to their friends. So absolutely. Thank you for that. Like that's no, that's yay. Yeah. Thank you. No, that, that is highest form of praise. Uh, is to, to think highly enough to, you know, uh, take a gamble that, uh, someone, you know, would, would enjoy what we're doing as well. So, yeah. um, thank you for that. I I do know I, I don't know if it was uh Blazing Legacy or if it was another uh person that was wondering how they could leave reviews for us on Spotify. Um and I responded in Twitter, but just so everybody knows, uh as best we can tell, Spotify does not have a option to leave a uh review with like text on it. Um they don't have an option to leave a review, period, on uh, the online version of Spotify. Uh, but if you happen to have the mobile app, you can at the very least leave a um, number of stars rating one through five. And uh, we have had people doing just that. And uh, they have been, you know, kind enough to have us currently listed at a 49 out of five on Spotify with uh, 48. That's, that's fucking. <laughs> yeah, with 48 reviews at the time of this recording. So um, I just want to. That's wanna, fucking crazy. I just want to say thank you very much to everyone that has done that because um, that that's awesome. So. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, well, and it's, uh, it's, I think it's pretty close to that on, on Apple podcast too. I think we're like a 4.7, yeah, uh, 4.7, 4.8, 4. 7. something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean the, the, the fact that, that it, people are willing to, to throw a review out and tell us what they're like and what they're hearing from us. Like it's, that's, that's amazing. That's yay. Feel good. <laughs> dopamine rush. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, we're, we are always appreciative of, of the reviews. Um, you know, if, if you enjoy what you're hearing, uh, that's probably the easiest way to, to show us that you like what we're doing. Just leave you know leave a, a however many stars you think we deserve or um or write up a, a quick quick review if you're listening on like apple podcast or or audible i guess uh and say or if if you're so inclined you can reach out to us on, on our twitter which is just at myths and stories with a z instead of an s um at the beginning of stories and uh and we review those uh you know fairly frequently and and try and um, at least give our thank yous there. So uh, you can reach out there too. All right. Uh, well, uh, anything else, Beth? No, I think that's it for tonight. All righty. Well, then from all of us lore nerds to all of you guardians out there, we'll see you next time.